Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's my pleasure to be here with you on our late-night national town hall forum. If you want to give us a call, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Of course, that's Valdez with an S at the end. And James Comer, the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, has... uh, announced that they will be holding Joe Biden, or I should say Joe El Baboso Biden, uh, the president of the United States, um, uh, in uh, an investigation, and they're going to continue that. But they're going to be holding the director of the FBI, Christopher Ray, in contempt. Now, this was announced last week. It was more like a threat. They're saying, look, if, if, we, if this doesn't happen, if we don't get the documents we need that say that Joe El Baboso Biden... Uh, was involved in a bribery scheme, then we are going to we're going to have to hold Director Ray in contempt because he keeps saying that it's part of a confidential document and he can't let it go. And then he said, all right, we will let it go. Uh, but it looks like they're moving forward with that anyway. So I want you to hear what Comer had to say today. Listen to this. Could they end up showing more Biden family business dealings with other countries? This document was dated, I think you all know this, from the subpoena on July 30th, 2020. The claims made in the document are consistent with what we found and disclosed to you all in Romania. It suggests a pattern of bribery where payments would be made through shell accounts and multiple banks there's a term for that. It's called money laundering. And that, again, is what the, the majority of the suspicious activity reports also said. So we feel that this accusation is consistent with a pattern that we're seeing, frankly, in other countries, too. And multiple yes. documents? We believe there are multiple documents. All right. So, again, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer says that he will begin the process of holding the FBI director, Christopher Wray, in contempt of Congress, despite viewing and being briefed by FBI officials on the subpoena document that alleges that President Joe Biden was involved in a criminal bribery scheme. Uh, This is according to reporting from Brooke Singman from Fox News. The FBI brought the document in question 
this is what they call an FBI uh, form FD-1023, that allegedly describes a $5 million criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Joe Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. This is uh, both for the, the, the issues in question for the committee hearings that we just heard of, as well as for what's on this actual document with that the whistleblower um, referenced not too long ago. So they were able to view this uh, on Capitol Hill in, with, in a skiff in one of those uh, sensitive compartmented information facilities, uh, which then resulted in a back and forth between the Republicans on the committee and the FBI, whether it was in compliance of the subpoena because they want the actual document and they were simply allowed to view the document. So it seems that that's where they're coming down on this, at least as far as I can understand. Uh, The FBI initially offered to allow Comer to review the document at FBI headquarters, but he continued to threaten them. So they said, all right, we'll bring it over to uh, the Capitol and let you see it in the skiff. But they won't release it. So I guess they're trying to, um, you know, to try to play ball and say, hey, look, no, he asked for it and we sent it to him. Come on. What's the big deal? Come on, man. Uh, but clearly, Comer wants this. Uh, he wants the American people to be able to see this. And I don't necessarily disagree with him in, in any way. I think I understand that there's some sensitive nature to this stuff. But you redact what you got to if you have to protect a, a certain um, informant. But outside of that, go for it. If it's, you know, it, 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 this is part of Congress's constitutional responsibility, right? This is part of their mandate is to provide oversight. So I, I don't I just don't get it. I understand they're running interference to protect Joe Biden. Anyway, at the uh, here's a quote from the uh, from uh, the chairman Comer, excuse me. At the briefing, the FBI refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee. And now we will initiate contempt of Congress hearings this Thursday. So that's coming this week. And that was a statement from Comer today. So curious to see how this is going to end up. We're going to dig into that. Uh, a little bit deeper with a former FBI agent. He's also a former Navy SEAL, Jonathan Gillum. He's going to join us in the next segment, and we're going to talk about that. Now, the FBI said that the move to hold the director in contempt is unwarranted as the Bureau has continually demonstrated its commitment to accommodate the committee's requests. This is a quote from them, including by producing the document in a reading room at the U.S. Capitol. This common-sense safeguard is often employed in response to congressional requests and in court proceedings to protect important concerns such as the physical safety of sources and the integrity of investigations. The FBI said in that statement, they went on to say the escalation to a contempt vote under these circumstances is unwarranted. Meanwhile, Comer said FBI officials confirmed Monday that the unclassified FBI generated record has not been disproven and is uh, currently being used in an ongoing investigation by a confidential human source who provided information about the vice president being involved in a criminal bribery scheme and is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures. So we'll, we'll figure out what's going on there uh, with the rest of this. I don't know where it goes from here, honestly. Um, I'm curious to see. I'm hopeful that the rest of America could see this and that this could be uh, a front page story across America. But will we see that? I doubt it. And again, I don't I don't want to know who the source is, if they have to protect their sources and methods and how the source infiltrated or became an informant or what they do. Protect the source. Just 
show us the the 1023 that has the information that says, hey, look, uh, I, I observe Vice President Biden doing X, Y, and Z. And then they could fight over the validity of the source and say, look, this unknown confidential human source, we don't know who it is, but they're a rat for the FBI and you can't trust the rat. Let, let the FBI and, and Biden make that case while Congress makes the case that they believe the source is credible and that's why they've been paid over $100,000. Um, and that's why they they employ this person because they are a, a, a valuable human source. And, and let that be the debate. Not the debate over whether America gets to see the document or even Congress gets to see it and choose what gets uh, redacted, right? I mean, that only makes sense to me. Anyway, we're going to get to that as well as the uh, the continued battle on wokeness. It looks like Target has lost a bunch of money uh, since they rolled out their um, bathing suits that are tuck-friendly. So you can tuck your male genitalia if you want to wear a, a bathing suit designed for a biological female. Fascinating. Well, actually, I guess designed for a biological male who uh, wants to wear a traditional biological female's uh, bathing suit. Tuck-friendly, it's called. And, of course, all of the onesies and little kids' clothes as well. So we'll talk about that as well and the battle against education. There's a new study out that says that more homeschoolers are leaving homeschool for public school. I don't know how true that is. We're going to get with an expert on that one as well. Plus, there's an amazing story uh, from an individual coming out of Africa that I want to share with you. We're going to do that one as well. Of course, your calls are always welcome. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Today, FBI officials confirmed that the unclassified FBI-generated record has not been disproven and is currently being used in an ongoing investigation. The confidential human source who provided information about then-Vice President Biden being involved in a criminal bribery scheme is a trusted, highly credible informant who has been used by the FBI for over 10 years and has been paid over six figures. These are facts and no amount of spin and, frankly, lies from the White House or congressional Democrats can change this information. At the briefing, the FBI again refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee, and we will now initiate contempt of Congress hearings this Thursday. Given the severity and complexity of the allegations contained within this record, Congress must investigate further. Americans have lost trust in the FBI's ability to enforce the law impartially and demand answers, transparency, and accountability. The investigation is not dead. This is only the beginning. It appears this investigation is part of an ongoing investigation, which I assume is in Delaware. The Oversight Committee will follow the, follow the facts and be transparent to the American people with our findings. All right, folks, welcome back again. That's Congressman James Comer. He's chairman of the House Oversight Committee. And that was at a press conference earlier today discussing how they're going to initiate contempt 
of Congress charges against FBI Director Ray, and they're going to continue the investigation into then Vice President Joe Biden's um, alleged criminal bribery scheme. Uh, here to weigh in on it is former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent, and the author of Sheep No More, Jonathan Gillum. Jonathan Gillum, welcome to the program, sir. Good to be with you, my friend. Thank you for having me. You bet. So let me get your original, I guess, gut check on this one. Uh, what do you make of this? Is this a little political theater? Uh, do you think this is actually going somewhere? Well, let me let me ask you. I'll ask you, do you, does that give you, hearing the Republicans say that uh, they are going to continue uh, to look for justice or that they're going to have a hearing on something, does that fill you with any any kind of confidence whatsoever. It does Doesn't not mean, inspire confidence for me. No. And the same thing here, you know, from a, from an investigator standpoint, uh, I think there's even without this, I don't know, this letter that is some, some kind of smoking gun piece of paper, even without that, I would say that we have from an investigator standpoint, plenty of evidence, preliminary investigation, and actually enough to start a full investigation. When you look at Hunter Biden uh, Joe Biden's brother and uh, Joe Biden himself and the things that he said uh, in the case of Ukraine and, and other things, you know, you you have enough information to start a full investigation. The problem is that the FBI, the DOJ, the IRS, I mean, I sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but I think we all know it now that all these agencies are ran by leftist ideologues. Um, I think Comey coming out and giving this speech on speeches on all these networks shows you uh, exactly how far this goes. I mean, he, it's not like he changed the way he feels when he got out of the FBI. He's the same guy that he was when he was head of the FBI. So mm -hmm. you have um, you have uh, all these people leading all these agencies, and we're supposed to believe the the Republican Party that they're going to get to the bottom of this when they've shown over and over again that they never push the envelope when it comes to getting uh, solutions uh, that when the Democrats have the upper hand, they just don't do it. And I, I used to think it was careerism, um, but I, I actually tell you the truth, I, I just don't know what it is. I mean, they just do not perform when it comes to standing up against the Democrats, almost like they're afraid they're going to get their lunch money stolen again if they stand up to the bully. And uh, so I, I don't see anything coming out of this further than what than what they have already. I mean, how much more guilt do they have to have? And what does contempt of Congress even mean? Um, <laughs> th they think that that's going to stop Christopher Ray and the leftist, that's not going to stop anybody. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you, Jonathan Gillum. And uh, lamentably, I, I don't know the answer to this either. And that's why I started with that question, which is uh, it, it seems great. It seems like it's a great little headline. It's a great soundbite. But if we don't get a U.S. attorney from whatever district, I'm guessing Washington, D.C., um, I think that's Graves, right? Um, or, or the other one, his assistant, to 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 start a criminal investigation Nothing really happens, does it? No, and I think people need to realize that is that you can you can blame the FBI for a lot. Like we know, Christopher Ray is in in uh, uh, in the camp with the leftists, and Comey was. But 
a lot of these agents uh, that are out there that would love to investigate this, they can't do anything if the U.S. attorney um, or the Department of Justice is not on board because the people have to understand the FBI does not prosecute. The FBI investigates. So even if they investigated all the stuff they found, all this stuff about Biden, if the DOJ uh, doesn't go forward with uh, the prosecution, then nothing, nothing's going to happen. So we have all these hurdles um, on dealing with the left. And as I've been saying for years and years, uh, the left is the enemy, but the right is the problem. And we, we have a problem of not committing uh, to the fight. And, and I'll tell you this real quick. I um, remember mm-hmm. Junior Johnson, who was a, a NASCAR legend, right? He used to tell this story in his thick uh, North Carolina accent that um, when you eat breakfast, look at the, chick- at the eggs and the bacon that's on your plate. And that chicken was involved, but the, the swine or the pig that that bacon came from was committed to the fight or committed, right? So the pig lost its life, but the chicken just laid <laughs> eggs. And that's the right. difference between the Democrats and, and the Republicans is that the Democrats are committed to their narrative and the Republicans are committed to a soundbite. And that's, they're involved in a soundbite. That's it. That's all that, that comes out of any of this stuff. Now, do you... You said that you used to think it was perhaps careerism. Uh, do you think it's it's complicity or fear or, you know, everybody's making their money by way of government. So if we get in the way of government, they don't want the swamp to turn on them. Uh, a, a lack of courage, all of the above. What do you think it is? Well, I, I think it has I think it has a lot to do with the way politics used to be. Right. And so politics used to be, you know, were in office, they would work things out together. And I think part of the, the people in Washington, D.C. think that um, that they have their uh, their friends on the other side of the aisle and they just have to work it out. I think that's a group of people. I think you have a tremendous amount of people in Congress now that are there exactly the same way that you have people on social media who are uh, there to get clicks and uh, to make a living off of their clickbait. I think that's the other thing. Uh, that's the predominant problem now. And when you, when we're looking at the right, and I think the other problem is you just have people who are actually leftists that are they're calling themselves Republicans. And I think when you combine all those things, um, you you have a group of people in the United States, conservatives, Christians. Um, people who don't want to be associated with the, with leftists but still call themselves, you know, moderates. We don't have representation in Washington, D.C. Uh, on a whole. We just don't have right. it. And, and I was talking earlier, I was on Newsmax earlier today, and I was talking about, you know, Matt Gates, for instance. I don't know anything about Matt Gates, uh, but I know that he held up uh, Hunter Biden's laptop hard drive once, and we never got to see it. So it's the same thing here. Yep. All right, Jonathan Gillum is with us. We're going to continue and see why is uh, James Comey saying what he's saying? Will Trump be wearing an ankle bracelet at the Republican nomination ceremony? We'll see straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Jonathan Gillum's with us. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. 
You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Can you envision a scenario where Trump manages to win back the White House and justice is delayed? I could. I don't, I don't want to, but I could. I mean, it's this crazy world that Donald Trump has drag this country into, but he could be wearing an ankle bracelet while accepting the nomination at the Republican convention. And could be wearing an ankle bracelet and be elected in November. Yeah, we could have, it would be rejected if you put it in a script for a show, but you could have a president who is potentially incarcerated when he's elected president. So that would be weird and awkward. And it seems even crazy to be coming out of my mouth, but that's the situation we face. Now, of course, that is former FBI director James Comey, who himself is weird and awkward, and uh, it is crazy, most of the things that come out of his mouth, but he says them nonetheless. And he was talking with Jen Circleback Pasaki, Silent P, on her show on MSNBC, saying that Trump might have an ankle bracelet on, at, uh, or the possibility exists. And, and I love how whenever the, these uh, the Democrats on, on the left are caught in something, Jonathan Gillum, that... They they always kind of project and make it seem like it's your fault. And let me just remind the audience, our guest, Jonathan Gillum, he's a former FBI agent, former Navy SEAL. He's the host of the Experts podcast, and he's author of the book Sheep No More. Jonathan Gillum. Well, it's interesting. You know, you're, you're exactly right. They And first of all, they they minimize. The left minimizes when they do something wrong. So they always make what they did wrong look like it's not that big a deal or it's a lot less. And that's typical of criminals. And then um, what they're really good at, though, is blaming uh, the other side for what they've actually done. And, you know, when you listen to Comey right there, I mean, that is a creepy thing because he is or was the director of the FBI. This guy was in charge of the FBI and the stuff that he spews out of his mouth is the exact narrative. I mean, he sat there with Jen Psaki, who that's that was her job. It was to spin that narrative. And he was the director of the FBI not that long ago. And he's saying the exact same thing that she's saying and the exact same thing that all these other politicians and these leftist actors and people who just don't 
know what they're talking about and they get information off of television. It's the same narrative. And that is a, that's a very uh, scary realization for most people. But from an investigative standpoint, what I see and what I've seen for a long time is that all of these individuals are either knowingly conspiring to basically overthrow the government uh, and, and get it in line with their ideology, um, get rid of a lot of our rights that we have in the Constitution, or they're unknowingly supporting it because they are just that stupid and they're brainwashed, and so they go right along with it. Now, listen, I agree with you 100%. It reminds me of a conversation I had earlier today at the Cuban place I always go to to get my espresso in the morning, and, and I was making the same argument, saying you know that they either go along because of their interest financially, uh, their interest in their career, their interest in whatever, that may, they may not be sold on the idea of, of usurping Americanism, but that's the outcome nonetheless. And they were saying, come on, you think people really want to throw overthrow America and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I'll pose the same question to you. Why would somebody do that? What, what's the motivation for one to uh, overthrow the, the current system in America? Well, it started a long time ago, Rich. It started in um, in the Garden of Eden with the apple, and anything <laughs> good, anything good is always going to have evil on its heels. And uh, it's just the game that that's played in in this world. I mean, wherever there's good, there will be evil. I, I know that was one of the biggest eye opening lessons that I learned when I was in the FBI myself was that. There are people who, you know, like myself, other people who swear an oath to the Constitution, uh, moms and, and dads who get up to raise their children correctly, or radio show hosts who want to make a difference in what people hear. Mm-hmm. They wake up every day to do what's right. But there's a whole other element in this world that every day they wake up and they go to bed thinking evil thoughts, that they want to do bad. And those people as Lao Tzu, who was a philosopher 2,000 years ago, would have said that when you try to speak the truth to them, they will just find it mere nonsense. And that's exactly what you have. People who do not understand the rights that they have, uh, they don't understand that uh, there is no right in the Constitution that should ever be diminished. Uh, It should be made sure that everybody has those rights, but as soon as you start to diminish those rights, whoever's trying to do that is uh, somebody who is uh, making a play for the power over the people. So I think it's a combination of, of these things, uh, Rich. And when you when you look at what is happening in this country and how good it was under uh, Trump's uh, presidency, and, and I have a lot of criticism for Trump. I, I loved him as a president, but I've got my – I don't look at him as, a, um, as uh, some kind of a savior. I look at him mm-hmm. as – yeah, I look at him as a man who, who did a good job as president. He had a leadership experience before he came in. Um, but the world was in, it just was in a better place. The country, the nation was in a better place. And I can't understand how people um, that are not politicians, they're just normal everyday union workers, for instance, would ever want to go uh, to where we are now and not want to be where we were when when Trump was in office. I, I don't understand that at all, except for the fact that they're brainwashed. They've got evil in them. Uh, or they're just pitching for power. You know, I I, I love what you're saying, because I think you bring up such a great point. And it's really the grand scheme of things, right? Things were just better a couple of years ago, and things seem to be way worse now. We've got, I don't know, let's see, Russia, 
checked us with one of their fighter jets on one of our drones. Uh, China just checked one of our aircraft. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of aggression from uh, who I perceive to be our enemies, not just uh, adversaries. Uh, there was this unknown plane. I'm not sure if you heard this story, uh, but this unknown plane that caused some F-15s to to go and respond over over the D.C. airspace. And then they say that the plane was unresponsive and it eventually crashed, which I'm going to surmise as media speak for. We shot it down. But I, I don't remember these things happening, right? <laughs> Our airspace being invaded the way it has been. Do you? I mean, putting your Navy SEAL hat on, do you remember these things happening in the last few years? No, I, I, there, I mean, there were some things every now and then because that's the way, you know, bad people do bad things. But sure. when Trump was in office, uh, the, we had a reputation, just like when Reagan was in office. Um, if if uh, nation states did something wrong or those who are sponsored by nation states or the terrorist organizations, if they did something against the United States, they knew that it was not a veiled threat that there would be a retaliation uh, and a big retaliation from the United States. Um, they knew there was a president in office that carried that weight and was not afraid to, to wield it. When you look at, at uh, what's in office now, uh, what you see is uh, the rest of the world um, getting a hint that if you want to push us, we're not going to get in the way, whether it's China and the Red Sea and dealing with Taiwan or uh, whatever you want to call that going on in the Ukraine or any of these other issues that we're having, <laughs> right? they are going to push the limit because they know there's nothing that's going to happen to them. And, right. and I will, yeah. and let me, let me, say, let me say this one thing. It has something to do with this, but not really is that this feud between the political feud it's made, you know, because uh, the, the elections that are coming up between Trump and DeSantis, I, I find that, horribly wrong right now we do not we need two men to go up and explain to us what solutions they have and who's the better man to carry those out these snipes and these insults and all this stuff we, we are in a position right now where we don't have time to play patty cake we're going to lose everything we have if we don't have someone step up and take the one position in government where one person can make a difference um, and I, quite frankly, want the best man in office. And that's what I'd rather have is these two guys stop with this nonsense back and forth and step up and say, this is why I think I'd be better. And this is why I think it'd be better. And let us decide. hundred percent. Right. Jonathan Gilm, I want to come back and just uh, let the audience know a little bit about your book, Sheep No More. So stick with us, folks. If you have a question or a comment, feel free. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America 
All right, America, welcome back. We have a caller for our guest, Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent, author of the book Sheep No More. Let's go to Tommy in Charleston, West Virginia. Keep it very brief, Tommy. Go right ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Valdez and Mr. Gillum, for this opportunity. Uh, Mr. Guest, I'm sorry, but I completely disagree with this statement you made a few minutes back that Biden has been weak in the face of China and Russia issues. The attitude and the uh, things that have been done by President Biden, NATO, Western Europe, in the face of Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been anything but weak, okay? Uh, Putin made more mistakes than you can even begin to count. He's just dumber than a rock and arrogant past words. All right, Tommy. Uh, thank you for that. Jonathan Gillum, your thoughts? Well, I, uh, the reason I think he's, he's totally wrong is that I don't think he's educated on the way that war works is that there was never anything done by the Biden administration to keep uh, anybody in NATO, for that matter, from getting into a war in Ukraine. There was never a buildup. There was never any alternative. They didn't tell Putin, if you cross this line, uh, you're going to regret it and we're going to go to war. They didn't do that. And so what do you end up having is a proxy war, which we, we could be involved with for a lot longer. And also a way for people to basically launder money by giving away massive amounts of military equipment, which the United States then turns around and pays large uh, companies from the industrial uh, military complex, mm -hmm. who then provides money back into the coffers of the politicians who started this. And when you look at the way that Afghanistan was handled, the way that China has been handled, um, what you clearly see is uh, a group of world leaders, whether it's North Korea, China, Russia, um, you see world leaders and Iran, for that matter, uh, that do not respect uh, the United States uh, or its allies as a group of people that will stand up to them. And they push the limit. They may not go all the way into war, but they continuously push the, 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 the line as far as they can. Uh, because they know there's not going to be a retaliation. So I think when we look at mm -hmm. it from, from a military uh, perspective, what you see is that most of this stuff wouldn't even be happening if uh, there was not a uh, succession of decisions that have been made uh, globally and on the global stage that have given examples of how we react. And it's, it's absolutely horrific. Now, Jonathan Gillum, former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent, and author of the book Sheep No More. In the few minutes we have remaining, I'd like you to tell everybody, um, you know, what inspired you to write this book Sheep No More? Why should we not be sheep? I know it's obvious, but I'd like to hear it from you. <laughs> well, so like the, the guy that just called in there saying, going, and I don't like to, to put callers down. I mean, this guy, that's his opinion, and he's come to that, uh, that opinion based on his knowledge of how things work. And I think that that is the problem is that uh, people in this world, and especially Americans, uh, we just do not, as a whole, have the knowledge that we should to protect ourselves. We should know the way things work. We should know how criminals work and how they, how, uh, where, when, and how, and why they would come after us. And uh, it's as easy as thinking like the attacker. 
And so it's not rocket science, uh, whether you're talking about a rapist or you're talking about uh, Putin. It's not rocket science. These people, um, they are experts in one area, and that area is attacking. It's in criminal behavior. And if you realize that what you have is what they want, then you can uh, actually make predetermined, educated uh, uh, plans of action based on what they would do. You have the ability to do that. So I, when I wrote this book, I saw that there was a gap between the people and when I was in the FBI and when mm -hmm. I was doing threat assessments all over the country, I saw that the people just didn't get it and there shouldn't be that gap. The people should be empowered, not weakened. All right. And if people want to uh, get a copy of the book, uh, how do they keep up with the work that you're doing and, and follow you? They can go to Jonathan T Gilliam.com. It's, uh, with a T in the middle is in Taylor and G I L L I A M. Um, Jonathan T Gilliam.com. They can find me on all social media. If they just look, uh, uh, for Jonathan Gilliam and look for my bearded face. And, um, and then if you go to the website though, uh, all the links are there for social media. Outstanding. Well, Jonathan Gillum, I want to thank you for being with us. Great insight, great analysis. I appreciate your expertise and, of course, your service to the country as well. Thanks. You got it, buddy. Thank you, and thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. God bless. All right, folks, your calls and more straight ahead. Plus, uh, we're going to discuss uh, what's the latest in education. We got to get into that topic. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez, and I wanted to just share something with you. So I, I mentioned that we were having a conversation. Uh, it was actually, I, mean, I bumped into my brother at my coffee spot today. And and I, I always get into this. And this is where, you know, some of you that listen to this show uh, will take exception. Others of you will say, you know what? Good job, Rich. You're so smart. You're spot on. I don't know which one you're, you're going to agree with here. But um, I was having a conversation where it, it somehow circuitously ended up with Putin being better than Biden. And my question was, why on earth are we comparing Putin to Biden in the first place? And the response was because the problem in America isn't Putin. The problem in America is Washington, D.C. I said, well, that's fine. And it's a nice soundbite and all of that. And, and I'm not saying that America's problems are, are based on Putin per se. But uh, I also don't see why we're making a comparison between the president of Russia and the president of the United States when we were discussing the corruption within our own government and, and the societal issues that we have in this country, our country. So the response, and we we're having a conversation with somebody else that was there and we're all going different directions with this. But what I thought was interesting was it, it makes no sense to me why people, anybody, anywhere, would add to their political discussion. But at least you wouldn't find that in Russia. You don't see that happening in Russia. I'd rather have Putin than Biden. I hear these arguments a lot, a lot. And it makes me think, all right, let me sit back and think, who on earth benefits from those 
from those sound bites and from those, uh, you know, little bits of rhetoric. Nobody in America benefits from that. Biden doesn't benefit from that. The deep state doesn't necessarily benefit from that. The only one that benefits that is Putin's PR angle, right? His public relations campaign gets to check off a box, fooled a couple of more Americans into liking Putin more than they like Biden. I'm not saying you got to like Biden. I don't like Biden. But I sure as heck don't like Putin, right? I mean, there's, there's no point in me liking Putin. I don't care if you're going to say you don't see this LGBTQ issue running amok in, in Russia the way we see it running amok here. Hello? This is how communists and their propaganda work. And, of course, then the argument became, well, look, Russia's not, uh, they're not communist anymore. The bottom line is, once a communist, in my opinion, always a communist, and they're the ones that exacerbate the problems in this country by fueling the fire, feeding the fire, and shaping these narratives in our media and our higher education systems and more, including our government. That's the point, and that's why I don't like Putin. Anyway, straight ahead, are kids fleeing schools? We'll find out. Don't go anywhere. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. It's my pleasure to be here with you tonight, hour number two of our program, and this is uh, America's late-night town hall forum. Feel free to join the conversation, 833-482-5337. I love to connect with some of the people that are really in the know and on the front lines of so much of what's going on in America And I want to share a couple of quick headlines with you. Uh, I mentioned this, I think, on Friday night. uh, Maybe it might have been Thursday, but I just want to rehash this. Nearly one in 10 adults around the globe now identify as LGBTQ. Uh, This is according to a new survey conducted by Ipsos, which found that 3% of those around the world identify themselves as lesbian or gay, 4% as bisexual, 
less than 1% as pansexual, and again, 0.9 or less than 1% as asexual. The survey noted that those in Generation Z, or people born after 1997, were more than twice as likely to identify as bisexual, pansexual, asexual, uh, or anything else um, as millennials would, and more than four times as likely than those in Generation X or baby boomers, which is a fascinating thing, which tells you that something happened in 1997, or it's how schools have changed. Now, speaking of schools, there's a professor in Michigan State, and this is uh, a couple of weeks, about a week ago, this article, Fox News reports that a Michigan State professor forced students to pay 99 cents for a left-wing cause. Uh, the money collected from students went to the coffers of a left-leaning organization called the Rebellion Community. And and I'll get into that a little bit more at the top of the next hour. But it, it's no longer just uh, left-leaning professors teaching things from one perspective, but also now fundraising inside of the classroom. Now, speaking of the classroom, uh, the Washington Post has an article out that claims that there's a revolt of Christian homeschoolers. Um they're suggesting that less and less kids are homeschooled and that homeschoolers are flocking to public schools to get away from the homeschool environment. And to help us get to the bottom of that is our next guest, uh, Taya Schumach. She's uh, an advocate and the founder of homeschoolreadyornot.com. Taya, welcome to the program. Good evening, Rich. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate you joining us because other than the Washington Post, this is not something that I'd heard of this exodus from um, homeschools or students who were homeschooled running into into public schools. Um, What's your reaction to that? My reaction is that like most propaganda, the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. So. Over the last decade, according to, I think it's the National Home Education Research Institute, the growth per annum in the homeschool demographic is 2 to 8%. And everyone sees those numbers. And then when COVID hit, they really spiked, if you'll pardon the pun. And <laughs> that's actually why we started homeschoolreadyornot.com, because parents were, the number of inquiries were increasing. And I think the establishment or the big media, big tech, whatever, big whatever, um, they see the numbers. And I think that scares them for several reasons. I think it scares them uh, resource-wise. I think it scares them because they've made no secret that they want to separate children from parents, either physically or ideologically. So I think that's one of the reasons that the Washington Post started this series. Yeah, and it seems to me like they're cherry-picking a couple of families that decided to make a move away from being in a homeschool and trying to portray it as if this was some sort of uh, movement that was, you know, really uh, by and large happening across the country, which to me, uh, I, I haven't seen that from what I've observed. From your perspective as somebody that's involved on the front lines, in the grassroots, dealing with people, um, how, how how much of that are you seeing in the in the trenches, if you will? You know, at the end of the day, we advocate for wherever their child ends up. 
we advocate for parents taking ownership of and responsibility for the education and health and well-being of their children. And that's a paradigm shift because I think in society today, it, they presume that it has to be outsourced to the quote-unquote experts. Well, I don't need to tell you over the last three years what experts have done and um, how expert I think they are at this point. But uh, we don't see that in the homeschool, homeschool community thus far. So, again, I think the opposite is true, and I think they know that. And the growth, the numbers are there. Now, I feel like I agree with you, obviously, with, with respect to COVID. I, we had a number of guests on during that time saying that, you know, a lot of people decided to go um, – um, with with homeschooling or online schooling because they realized it worked okay for them uh, or worked well for them. For those who felt that it didn't work out so well for them, they didn't, uh, and they flocked back to school. And I know that a lot of Catholic schools didn't even shut down, uh, you know, giving that choice to parents saying, you know, if you want to keep your kid home, whatever, if you need to send them to school, that's okay too. Uh, but it, it seems like there's uh, a willful attack, if you will, on homeschoolers, in particular, and based on this article, it seems Christian homeschoolers, um, because they they claim, at least they're, they're kind of tongue-in-cheek claiming this family, saying that this is some sort of a religious indoctrination camp. And there's, um, to read a quote here, devoted to the propagation of lies and um, and a subversion of Christian families. <laughs> and, and I just thought that this was... Uh, was an interesting take uh, because it seems like that's what uh, so many on the left want to do. So I guess my question to you is, I know you said you don't see a lot of this occurring uh, in in practice, but in instances where you do, how do you advise somebody of, of you know, how to handle a situation like that? Well, uh What's interesting, first of all, let me say this. If we're going to go after homeschoolers in America, I'm going to presume that every other issue we have has been fixed and they have to invent one to go after, number Mm -hmm. one. Um, Number two, I think um, I also wanted to make the distinction that after COVID, the people may have sent their children back to traditional environments and the article was trying to insinuate that it was new people, right? Mm-hmm. Sending their, sending their children back, previous homeschoolers, etc. I think the Washington post is trying to write homeschoolers as the antagonist of this story when it was merely part of the setting. Okay. So mm-hmm. if they want to talk about settings, educational settings, and they want to keep score in the game of abuse and general violence, I got news for the Washington Post. Homeschooling is a distant third behind public and private schools, and it's not even close. So I don't know this family. I don't know um, the stories other than the one-sided information that we got from the Washington Post. Again, I think it's pure propaganda. I'm not... um, you know, privy to inside information. But at the end of the day, if a parent wants to take ownership of their child's education and send them to a different setting, educational setting, 
than they were sent to, then fine, we would support that. And I would hope that the Washington Post is consistent and would support people that want to homeschool their children. Excellent point. I think it's really well put. And folks, uh, uh, Taya Shoemake is our guest. Uh, she's the founder of homeschoolreadyornot.com. It's a comprehensive online guide that helps shepherd parents through the new and unfamiliar adventure of homeschooling. And we're going to discuss that a little bit more straight ahead. also want to get her take on how it seems that there's more, um, quote-unquote, wokeness in schools each and every day. So I want to get uh, your take on that as well. Plus, uh, your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. to our society. I mean, it's an attack on truth. It's a form of cultural Marxism, and it really subordinates merit and achievement to things like identity politics. You can't have a vibrant free society if every institution is dominated by woke ideology. And to say it's not a big deal, uh, that just shows, you know, you don't understand what, what a lot of these issues are right now. That's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis weighing in on the wokeness that we see in the world, um, labeling it cultural Marxism. I think he's right. Uh, Taya Shoemake, what say you? I agree with Governor DeSantis. You know, we have somehow on our watch allowed the definition of disagreement to always equal hate. And that happens in the schools. And it has been pervasive, I think, throughout society. We also have allowed adversity to always mean victimhood. And that's just not the case. And I think that, uh, well, I'm not quite sure how you fix it, but I know that when children are home with their parents, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's for everyone, Rich, because there are situations mm -hmm. where um, it just may not be possible or feasible. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a beautiful option. I would say it's a wonderful option for girls, and I would say it's a lifesaver for men, for boys, for young men. And when when parents that are looking to navigate um, this this treacherous road of of a child's education, and I say that as a parent, right? And I'm, I'm a parent that was involved in a school board and everything. But my my kids are bigger now. Not that much bigger, but, you know, one's a senior in high school and the other one's going to finish college soon. And I realized that my kids are still facing a lot of things, but not nearly what other parents with small children, you know, those five-year-olds, six-year-olds that um, are six-year-olds, I should say, that are facing, you know, that type of uh, indoctrination. And, uh, you know, today I, I wanted to homeschool my kids back then. But I think today I'd have no choice but to do homeschooling because I think it's just so crazy. And I live in New Jersey. So it's like, you know, you have yeah. to protect your kids one way or another. And that would be the, the ideal way to do it. 
what what is it that parents can expect from your website, uh, homeschoolreadyornot.com, when they visit? Well, we try to funnel down the process to get started. We're trying to simplify because, frankly, the resources out there are nearly overwhelming. And when we first started, I Googled homeschool curricula. My eyes rolled back into my head and I got hysterical because I realized (laughs) that was probably the wrong thing to do. Mm. Um, But we funneled down the process to get started. Simple. The lifestyle is not always easy, but the process can be simple. We funneled it down to get legal, get curricula, and get community, but not necessarily in that order. I just like the way that rolled off the tongue a little bit better. (laughs) Getting (laughs) Getting community is paramount, and there are so many resources and so many local pockets of homeschoolers that are either in your same situation or have been in your same situation and they're doing it. And that is the best, one of the best pieces of advice I got was to reach out to other homeschoolers because they are innovative, they're creative, they're resourceful, and they really help make it happen. They're also a point of accountability. And that's what we want to do. And we want to simplify things, be an aggregate of information without being overwhelming. Now, uh, Taya Shoemake, I'd like you to give us a, an understanding of what what inspired you to get involved in this work? Did you get up one day and just say, I've had enough, I don't like this, or you know, was it something that somebody made aware to you? Was it a personal experience? What, what was it for you? That's a great question. So I was ready to homeschool our children at birth. My husband was not. And so I knew it wasn't something I could do without his full support. So as a result, our youngest went to traditional school. And, uh, and we, the school was fine. We l- really loved the teacher. And during the spring parent-teacher conference, this teacher let us know that they often placed our oldest and she was a young, she's got that fall birthday. So she was the youngest in the class. Oh, but I have one she too. Was, End of September. Yeah, oh, there. Yes, there you go. Mm-hmm. And they often placed her in the group of desks with the children who misbehaved, hoping that she would rub off on them. Now that's reverse socialization, right? Yeah. I, it, it's so ironic. And when she told us this inside, I didn't say anything at the moment because I wasn't sure how it was going to come out. I did eventually speak to the teacher about it. But I thought to myself, this this child is probably wondering what she did wrong to be put at this group of bad kids. (laughs) Correct. What did she do wrong? What were the teachers thinking of her? This precious firstborn box checking perfectionist. Right. Um, and, and what she must be thinking. And so we got in the car after the, after the meeting and my husband looked at me before he even started the car and said, do you think you'd be ready to homeschool in the fall? Hmm. And it was that experience that flipped the switch for him. And he was all in after that. 
And he saw the he saw the writing on the wall. And don't get me wrong, we overburden teachers. We've handcuffed them. We've turned them into administrators. It's it, the federal mandates that affect local classrooms. I think are near criminal. And any money that the state legislature gets from the federal mandates or accepting the federal laws or implementation of them right. is uh, most of it goes to compliance, Rich. And so mm. it, it's frustrating because very little of that money gets to the classroom. So um, yeah. that was that was our our turning point, and that is when we said, you know what, we're going to give this a good go. We sat down, we wrote our objectives, our goals. We had a one, three, five year plan. We reevaluated every year, and if one or none of us were thriving, we had a plan B. Taya Shoemaker, let everybody know how they could follow the work that you're doing and um, learn more about that work as well. Well, homeschoolreadyornot.com, and there are three information sessions, and they can find the first two for free. The third one will drop next week. There is a gratis section where I am continually adding videos to answer questions that parents email. Outstanding. All right, folks, Taya Shoemake, uh, make sure you check out the website, homeschoolreadyornot.com. Taya, thank you for the work that you're doing and for being with us tonight. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, Rich, so much. We'll be right back. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, I want to talk about a really interesting story, one that comes to us from a remote village in Ghana. Patrick Asari grew up in this remote village in Ghana, and he's the author of the book, One African's Journey of Hunger and Sacrifice in Pursuit of a Dream. Again, that's The Boy from Bodua. One African's Journey of Hunger and Sacrifice in Pursuit of a Dream. Patrick Asari, welcome. Thank you very much. Now, I want you to tell us a little bit about uh, your story, and maybe if you could help us take it from the top. I know that, you know, in in the the book, you point out a number of things. Um, 
how you um, achieved your education and got to university and all these things. But um, it was financial adversity, geographical adversity, uh, fighting hunger and poverty. It's really, a, a, to me, a fascinating story of how you um, went through life to better your life yeah. to eventually get to the United States. So let's start from the beginning. Okay. Okay. And I thank you. Thank you again for having me. So I, my um, pleasure. I was born. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was born in this uh, very small village um, called Bordua, as you mentioned. And um, it's a tiny village, a dusty place that uh, wasn't on the uh, at the map of Ghana, so most people in Ghana wouldn't even be able to find it on any map. <clears throat> and I was born to uh, my parents. Both of my parents were illiterate. My father was a subsistence farmer, and uh, my we, we uh, I'm one of fourteen children in the in the household. And so my, that's it, my, huh? Yeah, yeah, just that's 14? it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> so uh, so. What uh, what defines this village is uh, poverty. Um, my, as I recall, my, as I say, my parents were illiterate and about 99% of the parents in the village were illiterate as well. And so education was the last thing on anybody's mind. And in my particular household, 14 children with illiterate parents with no jobs, uh, subsistence farming. So food was, uh, finding food to feed 14 moms was uh, a constant challenge, and so we went uh, hungry most of the time, and our days were filled with uh, chores from very early in the morning, about sometimes 3 a.m. to 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and uh, we did chores about four or five hours. So you're talking about like 18 hours of of chores as a kid? Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah, and... um, and, and so a combination of chores and farm work. And um, there, there was a small elementary school in the village, elementary and middle school in the village. And so uh, children went there to get a bit of education. And then uh, most children um, uh, just uh, got primary and middle school education. And uh, most people stopped at the middle school level. And so I... Uh, went through that primary school, and so the expectation was I, I would uh, go through there like any other kid that's born in the village and uh, maybe learn to read, uh, do a little bit of uh, arithmetic. And then once I got to middle school, uh, fall back onto the farm and uh, live there for the rest of my life, helping my father run that. So <laughs> what, what changed for me, and I started uh, school uh, primary school with, uh, where there were 60 kids in, uh, in, in the first grade. And, um, uh, what, what changed for me when I got to middle school was, uh, I was walking around the village one uh, morning and I picked up uh, a scrap of newspaper that, uh, someone had, uh, thrown on the, on the ground. I, I picked it up and I read something on it. I, I, I love to read as a kid, <laughs> which was unusual because there, there, there were no households with books and there was no library anywhere. And so, as I say, books were books and education were the last thing on anyone's mind. So I, I picked this scrap of newspaper and I read a segment of an article on it. And uh, this article uh, talked about uh, the most exclusive uh, secondary school, which is the equivalent of high school in America. Mm-hmm. And so children, uh, this elite school, this article was describing this elite school and uh, 
children of the of the uh, country's elite, uh, the presidents, the ministers of state, ambassadors, and uh, our children of expatriates were educated at this uh, at this institution, and they went on from there to Oxford and Cambridge universities in uh, England, and then the uh, they came back from there to become uh, pr- uh, presidents, prime ministers. And so I, I read this thing as a, as a nine-year-old kid when I picked wow. up that scrapbook. And I read this, and uh, they, 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 this thing makes an instant impression on me. And I, I decided there and then that I was going to uh, find my way to this, uh, to this school and then uh, uh, go on to Cambridge or Oxford and then come back and become a big person in, uh, in Ghana. And, and this was an insane idea because uh, uh, with, with illiterate parents and poverty, not not even you know having enough food to eat at home. I mean, for for me to think at that point that I could I could you know someday go to uh, go to university in England and come back and become a, a prime minister or whatever. So so this is how this my, my whole journey started. So wow. Uh, now Patrick and, Asari, and I, could, I just want to jump in real quick. I want to remind okay. everybody who we're on with. We're on with Patrick Asari. He's the author of The Boy from Bodua, uh, One African's Journey of Hunger and Sacrifice in Pursuit of a Dream. That's his book. Uh, we're eventually talking about his dream of studying at the university level and eventually making his way around the world uh, to pursue the American dream. So we're going to talk about that straight ahead. We're going to leave off here and come back with how he ended up at university and what it was like for him. Folks, if you have a question or a comment, feel free to give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Patrick Asari. He's the author of the book, The Boy from Bodua, One African's Journey of Hunger and Sacrifice in Pursuit of a Dream. We left off with his childhood and how he um, worked these 18-hour days doing chores and and farm work so they could subsist in their very small remote village. You couldn't pick it out on a map. And uh, a community where all of the parents were illiterate, some of the kids went to school, and never more than than the middle school level. But Patrick learned to read and decided he wanted to go to this amazing place, a university. Patrick, let's pick up where you left off. Okay. So I uh, so so after reading that uh, article, I uh, I go on this mission, and um, uh, this is a household with a, a, a town, a village with no electricity, and so I'm studying with uh, kerosene lamps, and um, uh, the lamps are always in use, and so I, I get access to the lamp about 10 o'clock, so about 10 p.m., so I'll study about two hours, and then go to sleep and get uh, maybe three, four hours of sleep and wake up uh, in the morning to do chores. So I, I do this routine for about uh, two years in preparation for uh, the uh, stringent uh, exam that uh, gets you admitted to the school. So I, I do that and I actually uh, get admitted to the school only to find out that uh, my parents don't have the money to send me. So 
at that point, it was, uh, do, do I really go back to school? Because there's no point. Um, if if uh, my parents cannot pay the tuition to send me beyond uh, middle school, then uh, there's no... So I actually uh, dropped everything, and at that point, was about to drop out of school and uh, just revert to the farm. But but I, I, I walked around for a couple of weeks, and it, it struck me that, yeah, I, what I had read, I didn't really want to spend the rest of my life in the... Uh, in the village, I really wanted to uh, uh, go past middle school. So, so I, I pick up my books again and uh, retake the uh, exam the following year, uh, get a scholarship, uh, fortunately, to go to uh, another secondary school. And so I get secondary education, uh, high school education, <clears throat> and then uh, uh, I, I, I qualify for university. I, I take the university entrance exam and I qualify for it. So I get admitted to a university in Ghana. And then I hit another roadblock because, uh, again, uh, uh, money is an issue. I cannot go. So, so then I come back to the village for another couple of years, bouncing around with uh, uh, not, not, no direction, really, until I chanced upon this uh, scholarship that the, uh, the, uh, uh, at the time the Soviet Union and uh, the, the Cold War was, was at its peak. Uh, this is 1984. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, America and the Soviet Union were... Uh, across Africa, uh, jockeying for influence, uh, trying to win friends. And so Ghana um, happened to be somewhat aligned with the Soviet Union at the time. So the Soviets uh, used to offer scholarships to uh, uh, young men and women. I was in my early 20s. And and so I applied for one of these scholarships and was fortunate to win one. So that's how I ended up in the Soviet Union uh, to go to university there. So I um, so I I, um, I what was I that experience to, uh, like for you? It, it was uh, it, it was quite uh, it, it was quite a haunting experience because I had a village boy who had never traveled uh, uh, any distance much beyond his uh, village to to go from there to the Soviet Union to go to Moscow where no one spoke uh, any language other than Russian, which I hadn't heard anyone speak before. And so that, that, was, that was quite intimidating. But uh, at that point, I had no choice. And so I had to, uh, I had to sort of uh, steal myself and, uh, and, and fly to Moscow. So I went there and uh, I lived there for six years uh, during, the, uh, during the whole perestroika period. And uh, uh, studied the language. I lived in Kiev. Uh, actually, the, the six years I spent there, I was uh, I was in Ukraine um, uh, throughout that time. But uh, that time is, it was still the Soviet Union, so a lot of travel through Moscow, mm-hmm. St. Petersburg, and uh, and then got my education there. Uh, six years of education. I majored in electrical engineering, and uh, during that time, I traveled extensively throughout uh, Eastern and Western Europe. So vacationed in. Uh, in West Germany, England, Netherlands, uh, France, and so got a chance to see to see the world. I mean, this village boy all of a sudden has become a you know a world traveler. So a combination of education and exposure to uh, uh, to to a lot of the world, and so it was it was quite an amazing experience. So and then after I graduated from the Soviet Union, I uh, I came over uh, to America in uh, early 1992, and so my uh, my uh, journey to America began at that point, uh, 1992. So I've been here since then for this is my uh, 31st year in America. Wow. Well, let's pause right there. I want to take a quick break and come back and finish this uh, third chapter, if you will, 
of your time here in the United States. Uh, Folks, our guest, Patrick Asari. He's the author of The Boy from Bodua, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Patrick Asari. He's the author of the book, The Boy from Bodua. And Patrick Asari, you were raised in a small village in Ghana. You left home because there wasn't access to much education. Won a scholarship that you earned to uh, study in the Soviet Union, modern-day Ukraine, and completed your education and decided to go to the United States, where you remained for three decades uh, why did you come to America, and what made you stay? <laughs> Quite a very interesting question. So when I finished um, uh, my studies in the Soviet Union, the plan was uh, for me to go back to Ghana. But uh, about a month before I was due to graduate, uh, my father uh, tragically passed away. Uh, he he uh, died in, uh, in a car accident. Thank you. And... Um, so that that hit me really hard because my father had been a, a, a great influence on my life. I mean, he had uh, uh, worked hard and uh, made a lot of sacrifices to get me um, uh, from the village to uh, where I was at that point. So my my whole goal was to come back from the Soviet Union, and uh, he he was 81 at that time, and uh, to get him to retire from the farm he had done. Uh, a lot of hard work throughout his life to 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 uh, keep the family intact, and and so for him to die uh, just a month, uh, about a month before I was due to graduate, uh, was was really a big blow, and uh, and mm-hmm. I got into uh, a deep uh, uh, sort of uh, depression, and I wasn't I was in a really dark place, so. Uh, I went back to Ghana for a brief period, actually spent about uh, three months in Ghana. And I realized that I, uh, I, I, I needed to go someplace uh, to, uh, uh, to get a change of scenery and to, to, to recover, heal somewhat. So, so that, that is what brought me to America. And so I came to America uh, with, the, with the intention of um, uh, maybe spending a few months and, uh, and hopefully going back and uh, settling with, uh, with the rest of the family. But w- when I got here in uh, early 1992, in, in the Soviet Union, I had majored in uh, electrical, electrical engineering, so I had my engineering um, degree. But alongside mm-hmm. that, uh, they offered a program that uh, foreign students like myself uh, could take uh, Russian language and, and become certified in it to teach, um, to teach the language when we went back to our home country. So I had taken that program. So in addition to my engineering degree, I, I also had a Russian language teaching certificate. So, so when I came to America, and, um, and, and initially I, I went to Buffalo. I went to live with a friend in uh, Buffalo who was a student at the university there uh, because I, I didn't know anyone in America. So I, um, during the day when my friend went to school, I, I was watching television, reading newspapers, 
and I became intrigued, um, uh, fascinated by American society because uh, the um, uh, the level of discourse and the the active engagement of citizens in 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 civic life and governance and and, and things I had never seen anything like that. So so that fascination uh, sort of. Um, uh, motivated me to uh, hang on a little bit uh, more to uh, to to watch uh, you know the society a little bit more. So in in that period, I uh, uh, one day my friend brought the uh, the the local newspaper home, the Buffalo News, and I was reading the paper and uh, I saw an ad in it that was uh, was looking for uh, Russian language teachers. They they had set up a couple of magnet schools in the K to 12 system in Buffalo that offered Russian um, uh, as a language and the, uh, they were looking for teachers. So, so I, I walked into the uh, Buffalo Education uh, Board of Education office uh, one Monday morning with my certificate in hand and I presented it at the desk, um, uh, told the lady at the counter that I uh, had come there to uh, apply for the job that I had seen in the newspaper and the, the lady looked uh, really uh, quite annoyed because uh, he uh, in her mind, I mean, I could, I could see it on her face. I mean, who, who is this black guy walking around in Buffalo thinking he knows enough, enough Russian to uh, to actually do this job? So, hmm. so I, I, I give my certificate to her, and, uh, and then her jaw drops, and uh, uh, she calls everyone in the office to come and, uh, and see about it. And so, before I knew it, there were about ten people standing around, you know firing all kinds, all kinds of questions. Uh, how did you go from Ghana to Buffalo uh, to, to the Soviet Union you know, to Lenroy? So, so long story short, I get a job on the spot. And right. so, and, and so then that becomes uh, my ticket you know, to, uh, uh, to professional life in America. And so I, I start teaching in the, in the K to 12 system in Buffalo and then at that point, I decided that I wanted to stay longer. And so then I, I began making plans to go to graduate school to get a graduate degree in engineering. So I did the teaching for, uh, for two years uh, before right. I went back to uh, school to get my uh, uh, engineering degree. And then from there, I went into industry. And, uh, and so that, that's what I've uh, that's what brought And as they say, America. the rest was history, right? <laughs> the rest is history. Exactly. Well, Patrick, exactly. sorry, let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book quickly. All right. So the, I think we go ahead. Okay. Okay. So the book is available uh, on uh, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, and then I'm some, wherever uh, books are sold. So check out the book. Exactly. The Boy from Bodua, the author, Patrick Asari. Patrick, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. Godspeed to you, sir. We'll be right back. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. 
Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you. Our telephone number every night, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. Of course, if you want to chime in or make a comment, feel free to do so on social media. My handle is at Rich Valdez with an S, wherever you're um, doing your social media. I'm on most of them. Now, I want to get into a bunch of things tonight, maybe more things than I have time to get into, but I want to put them out there, and I'd like your reactions. If you want to get on the show, make sure you call in early. I always feel very bad when it's like two minutes to the end of the show and I see five, six, seven people holding on. I wish you'd call in earlier so we could get to you earlier. Anyway, um, you got the number 833, the number four, and Valdez. Now, here are some of the stories that I'm looking at because it's interesting, right? There is a... um, A story in the Associated Press. Microsoft is going to pay $20 million to settle uh, the charges of illegally collecting children's data. Microsoft Corporation has agreed to pay this fine of $20 million to settle uh, a Federal Trade Commission charge that it illegally collected and retained the data of children who signed up to use its Xbox video game console. The agency charged that Microsoft gathered the data with, without notifying parents or obtaining their consent, and that it is also uh, illegal for them to hold on to this data. Those actions violated the Children's Online Protection and Privacy Act, according to the FTC. Now, in a blog post, Microsoft Corporate Vice President uh, for Xbox, Dave McCarthy, outlined additional steps that the company is now taking to improve its age verification system and to ensure that parents are involved in the creation of child accounts for for the duration of their service. And it doesn't surprise me. I don't think these are oversights. I think everybody's after your children because that's the longest customer they'll ever have, right? Or the customer who's going to be their customer for the longest amount of time. So it makes sense to me, but I think, um, you know, Good on the FTC for doing that, for doing their job and holding uh, one of these big tech companies uh, responsible because otherwise they'll just do whatever they want to. Now, speaking of big tech companies, blue chip companies like Microsoft, IBM, there's an IBM employee that was on sick leave for 15 years. Well, he's now suing the company for saying they never gave him a pay raise. He claimed that he was a victim of disability discrimination because his salary had not been increased in the 15 years he was off for work. (laughs) I'd love to get your take on that one. Uh, I'm curious to see what America thinks. Uh, But this guy was a senior IT worker in the United Kingdom. He'd been on sick leave since 2008, took um, IBM to court 
for discrimination because he didn't receive this salary hike, according to the UK Telegraph. As per the report, Ian Clifford is employed by the tech giant IBM. He's been out sick for 15 years, and according to his LinkedIn profile, he's been medically retired since 2013. However, he claimed that he was the victim of disability discrimination because his salary was, of course, unaffected in the 15 years that he took off. Unbelievable. And uh, I understand that he's guaranteed to receive the salary that he currently has until he's 65. But he still wants a raise because he says this is not generous enough because the salary will wither over time due to inflation. Fascinating. So you've got Microsoft storing the data of children, IBM doing what they're doing. And, you know, when it comes to children, I think we, we got to take things seriously. And there's this last story I want to, not the last, but the last in this segment that I want to talk about is a superintendent who was arrested after planning to engage in sexual acts with a 15-year-old. This is according to police. It's a pretty big guy here. Looks like he's wearing like a double X, triple X type shirt. Big, 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 big dude. <clears throat> he's a school superintendent in Texas. And he's behind bars after being accused of trying to solicit, solicit sex from a 15-year-old girl in Houston. Investigators said that Michael Stevens, 47 years old, this is the big guy in the photo here. I'll tweet this out so you could see it. Uh, but he's like, I don't know, he looks really tall, really wide. Like a, uh, like a lineman. Uh, being uh, charged with online solicitation of a minor. Stevens is the superintendent of a school in northern Texas near Dallas. According to officials, Stevens began talking to who he thought was a teenage girl, but were actually trained officers who were conducting a months-long sting operation. The officers were posing as 13, 14, and 15-year-olds in the Houston area. Unbelievable. The uh, school administrator is one of seven men that were caught during the sting. And here's a quote from the uh, Tasca School District. We're trying to determine if any of, uh, of the other children that have been solicited by these individuals shared a uh, any... Um, relation amongst one another and this should scare parents he said this is constable alan rosen he says uh this should put things in perspective about how dangerous things can be when you're not paying attention very very um disconcerting news so i'd like your thoughts on that as well plus we're going to get into what happened with senator tim scott who is on the view today we also have a couple of clips of audio i want to share with you because chuck todd has announced that he's uh Retiring, so I want to get that. Uh, I'm not retiring. He lost his show, I think, because the ratings aren't that great. And that was announced last year that they were going to be replacing the host. Well, they announced the replacement host today. The replacement host is none other than um, Kristen Welker. I think I said that right. And I think we have some audio of this Chuck Todd announcement, cut number 17. Uh, let me know if we have it available. Uh, because he uh, basically announces that he's stepping down of... Meet the press on NBC News in September. Listen to this. I have a personal announcement. Well, today is not my final show. This is going to be my final summer here at Meet the Press. It's been an amazing, nearly decade-long run. I'm pretty, really proud of what this team and I have built over the last decade, and frankly, the last 15-plus years that I've been here at NBC, which also includes my time as political director. I've lo loved so much of this job, helping to explain America to Washington 
and explain Washington to America. When I took over Meet the Press, it was a Sunday show that had a lot of people questioning whether it could still have a place in the modern media space. Well, I think we've answered that question and then some. We've taken Meet the Press from a single Sunday show to a distinct and important political franchise. All right, so what do we say? Adios, au revoir. Take care, brush your hair. That's for Dania, right? That's, those are the ones I know right now. Sayonara um, to Chuck Todd for leaving Meet the Press. I'm not wallowing in in um, in his um, misfortune. I'm not. I'm just, you know, making light of, of what's going on. But I don't really wish him ill will. I hope he does really well. I'm sure his uh, podcast will continue. I'm sure he'll get hired somewhere else, too. I mean, he's a big name. He's a popular face. And uh, just because NBC can't afford him anymore doesn't mean that some other network won't. So um, best of luck to you, Chuck Todd. You've given us years of great sound bites that we could argue with, and I appreciate that. And um, we'll continue with what's going on tonight and a whole lot more. I got a whole bunch of things I want to get to straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. document was dated, I think you all know this, from the subpoena on July 30th, 2020. The claims made in the document are consistent with what we found and disclosed to you all in Romania. It suggests a pattern of bribery where payments would be made through shell accounts and multiple banks there's a term for that. It's called money laundering. That's House Oversight Chairman James Comer. He said that in a press conference uh, earlier today that they are going to begin the process of holding FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt of Congress. Now, they threatened that last week uh, and got them to show the document uh, in a skiff, but it wasn't enough because they won't allow it, despite viewing in being briefed by FBI officials on the subpoena document that alleges President Joe Biden was involved in a criminal bribery scheme, the um, Oversight Committee is moving forward nonetheless. The FBI brought the document in question, which is uh, FBI Form 1023, that allegedly describes a $5 million criminal scheme involving then-Vice President Joe Biden and a foreign national Uh, relating to the exchange of money for policy decisions. Interesting stuff. Now, again, Congressman Comer from Kentucky and ranking member Jamie Raskin from Maryland um, were allowed to review the document in a secure, what they call a SCIF, a sensitive compartmented information facility, resulting uh, from the back and forth between the committee and the FBI over whether it was in compliance of their subpoena or not. 
They said, no, we can't. It's confidential human source. They said, sure, you can. We won't tell anybody. We have security clearance, et cetera. They finally agreed to do this. And the FBI initial offer uh, included Comer reviewing the document, but not in a skiff in, on Capitol Hill, but at the FBI headquarters. But amid Comer's threats to hold FBI Director Ray in contempt of Congress, the FBI offered additional accommodations to bring the physical document to Capitol Hill. Well, that's funny because that's how it works for everybody else when they get subpoenaed, right? They, they don't say, I'm going to subpoena the document. We want to come over your house. Now, if they want to come over your house, they knock down your door. They take what they want. And they still look at it in Capitol Hill. Anyway, despite that. And that's uh, Comer. Of course, we've got Joe Biden, who's in a uh, world of hurt of his own. So that's what's there. Now, earlier tonight, I had a conversation with Andrew Gillum, former FBI agent. He's also a former Navy SEAL. And it was a fascinating conversation uh, because I asked a very um, clear question, which I thought was, is this more political theater like, you know, the Benghazi hearings or whatever? Or are we going to get to the bottom of this? And again, I'm a big skeptic, right? You know, I I did not think that Durham was going to put anybody in jail. I didn't think that there was going to be major accountability from the Durham report or from Mueller or from anybody else. I think these things are done to correct the record so that the truth is out there. But there is no system in which people that are very politically connected pay a very high price for anything. That's not how the system's designed. So in many ways, when Trump says the system's rigged, uh, clearly is, right? It's rigged in favor of those that are part of the system. It's not rigged in favor of me or you, we the people. And it wasn't rigged in favor of Trump either, because even though he became part of the system, he was like this reluctant part of the system where they didn't want him. And he didn't want them. And all they did was fight. But nonetheless, that's the situation. Now, I want to remind you of our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. I want to switch gears a little bit and go to the um, incident involving Senator Tim Scott. Now, Senator Scott, uh, who's announced his campaign for president, was on The View. And interesting, right? It's an interesting conversation because immediately... They hit him with, you've rejected systemic racism. This is something that I've also rejected, right? I don't think that we should uh, modify the term uh, racism by calling it systemic racism, as if there are systems that perpetuate racism in our country. I, I think we should use this term for instances where it is accurate. For example, um, back in the 50s, there was a procedure known as redlining. That was a system, a systemic issue, a systematic thing, uh, where African-Americans were prevented from getting loans in certain neighborhoods in order to not allow blacks into the neighborhood. That's as systemically racist as it can get. However, and thank God, that's over, right? If you've got the money, You can move to the nicest of neighborhoods. I think there's examples of that in the Hamptons, as well as in Alpine, New Jersey, and other places that I've seen with my own two eyes, where you've got, you know, very wealthy people that happen to be African-American and live in these neighborhoods. So to me, this is an invalid argument to say that we are a systemically racist country, society, 
you know, or legal system. Because it just, in my opinion, isn't true. Uh, but this was uh, the question posed to Senator Tim Scott on The View today by Sonny Hostin. And it's an interesting back and forth. There's about a, a minute and a half. Listen to this. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it ex- or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Let me, let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things I, I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. But, but, I can't but it Im- is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah, so, so the fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American uh, vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, mm-hmm. the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the highway patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still in, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% employment in the African-American community. For the first time in the history of the country, it's under five percent. Forty percent homelessness. And fifty percent of fifty percent of the folks get, in our community. Thirteen percent of the population. You ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful. So I'm going to do the that same is thing. True. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It can be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed that having faith in God, mm-hmm. faith in himself, and faith in what the future could hold for his kids would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Faith in God, faith in the American dream, that to me seems to be a constant in the United States today. Racism, at least the systemic racism, racism that they seem to speak of and love to parade around, doesn't, in my opinion, seem to be a thing. And I'll just say that until I, I'm, I'm, I'm unable to talk because that's what I believe is truth. I don't see a system that's racist. People have argued, but Rich, you've got to be kidding me. You've, the, the, the school to prison pipeline. How is it that there's, listen, there's a lot of discussion that we can have on a lot of things. But I don't believe that there are systems right now that are uniquely or systemically racist. I I just don't. Uh, If you want to disagree with me, give me a call. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen.
America, welcome back. Our phone number, you just heard it, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Mike. He's giving us a call from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. Mike, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hello. Hello. Thank you, Rich. Um, I've been listening for a while, and, um, you know, I, I really don't have any disagreements in what you say. I mean, so straight to my point, um, you know, I, I was listening to the systemic racist, you know, comments and, and, and accusations that, that have been levied against, you know, the United States and, and, and really conservatives and, and conservative Christians for quite some time, specifically in the last several years. Going once, going twice. All right. No, Mike. Mike is gone. While we work on getting Mike back, I guess the deep state got him because they didn't like what he was going to say. Uh, but, Mike, if you are uh, lost your call, I'll give you a call back. We'll try and get you back in. Before we go back to calls, I wanted to um, to, to just add to a, a little bit more of that. Cut number 14 on my cut list uh, is a commentator by the name of Eli or Ellie Mistel. I never get his name right. Uh, but he was on a network called the Black Star Network over the weekend. And, again, just hammering this idea of racism – saying that Chief Justice Roberts has always been an enemy of black people voting. Listen to this. On the voting rights case, I do believe it is very likely that the Supreme Court will vitiate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. That's the section of the Voting Rights Act that just allows you to sue for racial discrimination in voting. It's the kind of basic operational factor of the Voting Rights Act. I believe that's going down this term. This month, I believe John Roberts will write that if you look at the kind of tea leaf. Who's written what case from when? It looks like Roberts has kept that case to himself. And for all the people, all the media people, especially all the generally kind of mainstream media people, especially who tend to act like Roberts is some kind of moderate good guy influence on the Supreme Court. Make no mistake. John Roberts has been an enemy of black people voting for his entire legal career. Indeed, his first job after he finished clerking was to work for the Reagan White House arguing against an expansion to the Voting Rights Act that was initially, that was eventually pull, pushed through, um, that w- was conceived of by uh, the late Lonnie Guineer, that was so popular that even Ronald Reagan had to sign that expansion of the Voting Rights Act. Um, the, the Voting Rights Act was, you, uh, was confirmed under George W. Bush by a voice vote. These are bedrock American principles that even Republicans agree with, but not John Roberts. John Roberts has been our enemy on voting rights for his entire life, and he's going to continue to be our enemy this month. Holy smokes. <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard this allegation before. John Roberts has done a number of things that um, things that I don't uh, I think weren't good ideas and whatnot, but I can't say in, in any good faith that John Roberts is the enemy of black people voting? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, really? I mean, not even Katanji Brown Jackson is saying that, right? Or Clarence Thomas, for that matter, who uh, is uh, who was on the court before her. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think that this whole thing is um, is, I don't know. This is a fake, phony, and fraudulent argument, in my opinion. But I wanted you to hear that because this is some of the crazy that's out there. Now, 
I, I can't subscribe to this. I just can't. I, I can't imagine who even listens to that and buys it. I know there's a handful of people that like this type of radical rhetoric, but I, I, it's just not for me. And I, and I wanted to point it out because, man, it's really, really out there. Chief Justice Roberts has always been the enemy of black people voting. I mean, it, it, I just don't see it. But anyway, we continue. Let me see. Where did I want to go from here? I had this other clip. But before I get to that, I'm going to share this with you. <clears throat> it's a store owner in uh, San Francisco, right? This is a real enemy, right? This is the real enemy, not of, of black people. This is the enemy of all people. The policies that come out of the Democrats in San Francisco. You got a store owner that after losing $100,000 to burglars, he says, you know what? This is worse than Afghanistan, referring to San Francisco. Now, what's interesting is this guy came from Afghanistan. He's an Afghan immigrant. And he, um, he says that he's at his wit's end with crime because these gang of thieves have stolen over a hundred grand in merchandise from his tobacco shop. I don't know why he's, he's not being more aggressive, but here's what he said. The politicians need to get a grip on this because it's worse than Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, that is, um, Zaid. He's the co-owner of cigarettes are cheaper in San Francisco, uh, in their Richmond district. He was referring to crime in the city following a robbery on Tuesday night when half a dozen thieves smashed his windows and made off with about $80,000 in merchandise and about 20 grand in cash. He went on to say, quote, at least in Afghanistan, the Taliban will cut off your hand and people are afraid to commit type, uh, such a crime. Uh, Zaid said that adding to that, he says people are stealing from nearby stores every single day. And we've seen the videos of that. It's crazy what they've seen. We've seen Walmart closing and others because they can't afford the shrinkage anymore because it's outright theft that just doesn't end. And he says they know the police won't do anything. Adding that the thieves were in his store for almost 20 minutes and had plenty of time to ransack the place. The police's response to him was that they were shorthanded. The San Francisco Police Department, I'm ad-libbing here, uh, was very busy investigating the um, hammer incident with Paul Pelosi. And that's why they're facing a crisis-level staffing shortage, according to Fox News. Now, I made some of that up. But um, I just think the whole thing is crazy. And these people showed up uh, at 2.44 a.m. on Wednesday. They saw the police, I'm talking about observing the window of the business shattered and items from the business all over the floor. Unrealistic. Anyway, uh, your calls and more are coming up straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. I think we've gotten our phones sorted out. There was, of course, some interruptions. Who I like to blame on the deep state because whenever something good's about to happen, you know, they try to get a little funky with us. But uh, we're not going to let that stop us because we like to kick butt here on this program. Let's go back to Mike. He's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. He's going to finish his thought. Mike, go right ahead. Hey, thank you, Rich. Um, I, I, I had mentioned that, you know, I wasn't trying to uh, claim any certain bona fides, but what I what I notice and, and what I've learned in my forty nine years of life is that I I feel it's important to make sure that everyone that I interact with uh, feels and and is certain that I respect them, um, and it doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter what what they're doing, you know how I'm you know how I may be interacting with them, uh, I show them respect. Um, and and that always yields positive results. Um, and I and I interact with all kinds of people here in South Carolina. Uh, the, the the organization I'm affiliated with um, just tonight had to respond to uh, someone that lost their house in a fire. It was destroyed. The family and and my my part was to rush out some uh, some some much needed supplies to them. Just immediate needs to meet those needs. I didn't care what color they were. It made, it made no difference to me. There was a person that was in need. There was an ability and opportunity that I had to try to help and, and minimize their, their suffering. And, and that, that in and of itself um, is all the gratification or, 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 or anything that I would need just knowing that I helped my a person in my community that needed me in their time of need. And we all do Your that. Fellow man. I feel we all, try to do and it, we we all do and the left wants to seize that as a huge affront to what they're trying to do and control us and, and take over and, and and manipulate everything and control everything if they can divide us they can conquer us and if they can pit us against each other and and make things out of out of nothing um that's that's what we're all witnessing and dealing with now and we have to we have to see it for what it is and overcome it with with love and compassion and, and tolerance and understanding, um, all those tenets that we all know to be true in our faith. And I, I really respect what you're doing, Mr. Valdez. I, I'd love to have a dialogue with you, or I could hang up and listen to what you got to say and let someone else get in here and chat. Sure. Well, yeah, we're going to move on. But uh, I, I do agree with you, Mike. I think that um, it, it's, a, it's a really it's a point that I took uh, to heart. Because I don't know that I do that in everything I do, right? I think I try you know, maybe at the surface level to be respectful, but there are certain things I don't respect. And I guess sometimes I might come across that way. So, you know, you had me thinking a little food for thought there saying maybe that should be a goal of mine is to make sure whoever and, and everybody that I encounter feels respected. I do try to entertain every side of the story on this program and those that disagree with me as well. But, you know, I know at times I can be a little bit, uh, you know, tough to swallow. And, and that, I mean, normally I'm okay with that and I'm, I am okay with that, <laughs> but, um, it, uh, it gives me a pause when you say what you're saying. I'm thinking maybe there's a better way to reach people and to, to, to have that discussion. So I think you raise an excellent point. And I think, you know, what, to what your point and what you were talking about is when you look at people as people and, and you forget about, you know, using the fire is a good example. There was a rapper named Kingface. And he um, gotten involved in the MAGA movement. And then he became ill and he died. Uh, but before he died, there was a, a viral video of him uh, speaking, saying, you know, he's very angry. He's very angry. 
he was talking about how, you know, if if I die in a fire, if somebody else dies in a fire, when you pull our bodies out, you're not going to say, oh, I got the body of the black guy here. I got the body of the white guy. You know, the, the, the body of the MAGA person or the body of the, the leftist. So you're pulling out bodies, your fellow man, your brothers, your sisters, you know, other Americans, other human beings. And, and it was always a great clip. I thought it was a great clip. And if I ever can find it, I'll, I'll play it on the program. But it, it reminded me of what you were saying. And, and I think that's a good point and, and a point that we lose sight of because it is really fun to be competitive. It is really fun to say, no, 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 you're wrong. You're stupid. And here's why. Right. <laughs> and, and especially in talk radio, uh, we can get caught up with that. Uh, but uh, I do think you raise an excellent point, Mike, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, you bet. Have a great night. Uh, we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Uh, but before we do, I just want to give you the phone number, 833, the number four, Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And I wanted to um, address the uh, the woke issue. And we're going to get to that in a moment. I got a quick clip of audio I want to play for you. But before we do, I wanted to um, get with Kim in Shields, Michigan. She's listening online. And I just want to remind everybody, if you're listening online, great. If you're not, you can listen online anytime from anywhere as long as you've got the internet just go to rich valdez america at night.com rich valdez america at night.com you can listen to any of the interviews we've done over the last uh, year or so um and by the way i think we just completed our 100th episode last week so kudos to the guys in the control room and our bookers uh, rich cementa and bill bennett uh, Barnett, excuse me, Bill Bennett was education secretary. <laughs> and of course, Alex Hinton and uh, Tom Delac, also known as Count Delacula, uh, because um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun doing this show. And uh, 100 episodes is really cool. But you can always uh, check out any of the interviews you may have missed at Rich Valdez, America at Night dot com. Now, let's go to Kim in uh, Shields, Michigan, listening to KDKA online. Go right ahead, Kim. Yeah. Hi, Rich. Thank you. I have an idea for all the um, the shoplifting and the looting and the organized crime rings that are just annihilating mostly these big cities, but it's spreading out. Um, a lot of doctor's offices used to get um, stiffed. I knew one doctor in this area that was stiff. Uh, patients that would come in, get treated, and not pay to the tune of a third of a million dollars. So a lot of doctor's offices around here, they make you pay first, all over Michigan, even down in Ann Arbor and stuff. You pay, you pay before you go in, you see the doctor, and so they get paid. With these stores, I think that a lot of them should go to where stuff is locked behind plexus. 
plexiglass like they used to do with the perfume or this or the expensive thing and yep. pay first. You know, pay first. Just like when you order through the mail, you have to pay first before you ever it gets delivered to your house. They don't get stiffed great point. like that. You know what I mean? Excellent point, Kim. I appreciate it. And, you know, what's funny um, is that uh, the New York Post has a story that says the shoplifting crisis is so bad that shoppers are now struggling to find non-locked up items. Uh, You can't even go into a store and get things off a shelf, especially in places like Manhattan. And because the nation's become so bad that uh, shoppers are just struggling to get their hands on basic things. So which is either going to drive them to do more online shopping or, like you said, I think they should do that. Uh, so I appreciate that uh, that thought, Kim, and your and your uh, comment as well. I also want to bring your attention to how um, how crazy these things are, right? I mean, in California, where they created this whole shoplifting thing, saying we're not going to prosecute you uh, if you steal less than nine hundred and fifty dollars. We're going to have our prosecutors not prosecute the crime and uh, decriminalize it in many ways. And now there's a bill to stop employees from confronting shoplifters. This bill was passed uh, by the California uh, State Senate, and it's designed to protect store workers from violence. But retailers are slamming the move as an invitation, saying, look, if there's a law saying that employees can't confront people for stealing, then what am I hiring these people for? And again, I understand they might be a clerk or a cashier or any other employee, but Ultimately, I think you got to be all in, right, if if you're working there. And um, we'll see if that gets past the entire legislature. One more thing I wanted to, uh, just another interesting story here. A woman shoplifted, fought a manager, and then urinated in a gas station trash can, according to cops. That's in Henry County. Uh, Let me see what state this is. This is pretty interesting. Bear with me. I don't know why it doesn't say what what state this is. Oh, man. That's a shame. Nothing. I got nothing here. I got a whole article with with nothing alluding to where it is. But that happened. She she fought the manager, urinated in a gas station trash can, and um, decided to do that. There was one more I wanted to share with you on this shoplifting stuff. Because not only did they arrest 26 people, uh, in one day because there was a shop, um, a shoplifting blitz that happened in one day last month that left thousands of dollars worth of merchandise uh, being stolen. Uh, but there was also a gas station employee that killed an alleged shoplifter, and now they've shut the business down. That happened in Detroit. This alleged shoplifting customer was shot and killed by a Detroit gas station clerk on Monday in the morning as he was running away from the store. Now police have arrested the employee and shut down the business. Police shut down the mobile gas station at Clark and Burner on Monday, hours after the customer was killed by a single shot. According to the now arrested store employee, the customer was stealing from the store, but Chief James White said that's not a reason to kill someone. Well... I'm sure that story is going to make some more headlines as the days go on. Folks, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez. Take care, good night, and God bless. Keep it locked right here on this radio station. There's more programming coming after this. I will be back with you guys tomorrow, and I can't wait to be with you then. Take care.
The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 